Starting up with VirtuZone on Dubai I 103.8. Great to have you on board each and every Thursday live here from Dubai I 103.8 HQ. Uh, Neil Petch has joined me as he does each and every Thursday. Been a good week. It has. It's been a fantastic one. Your voice finally know, breaking. Just what happened there? Just, it's, it's, it was just. It was as soon as I looked at you, I, I went all high, high pitched, <laughs> like I was back at school. Neil, you're in denial, I think, <laughs> and that's not a, a river in Egypt. <laughs> uh, great to see you. Um, uh, obviously, I've been seeing plenty of Mr. P recently. Why? Because what do you and the rest of the team uh, at Virtue Zone love? We love tax. Oh, that's and good we to love hear. Specifically, being tax ready. See that magnificent play on words. Where else but in the UAE could you actually say that and people will not laugh you off the streets? It's a great, it's a great uh, logo. It's a great slogan. Uh, and for those out there scratching their head going, what? And has he finally lost it? No, I can promise you there is method to the madness here. And in fact, if you tune in next week, a That's big right. launch coming on Monday, if you tune in next week, we'll, have, we'll reveal all. Is that okay? That's exactly right. We will reveal all. But we do love tax, and we can say that loud and proud. (laughs) T-shirts are available. This week, though, we are marking World Mental Health Day, or we have marked World Mental Health Day during the course of the week. Many conversations about employee burnout and making sure employees are well looked after. Well, now we're shifting that conversation to one of the most important employees of the organisation, the boss. Not many bosses out there will ever admit to burning out. Why? There's so much at stake and it sort of falls on their shoulders. Or does it? Recently, a LinkedIn post caught our attention. One boss writing about it very openly, saying he burned out as he took on far too many new responsibilities, which came with the new expectations. He ended up on a positive note, though, so reminded people to, and I quote, work to live, don't live for work. Well, we welcome to the Dubai Eye studio now the CEO of Emirates Steel. He also helps other bosses to cope with the challenges of leading a team and a company. It's a warm welcome to starting up with Virtue Zone to Saeed Al Ghafri. Saeed, lovely to see you. Thanks so much indeed for joining us. Thank you so much, Tom. Neil, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you. You're here not so much to talk about steel, but to talk about steely characters Absolutely. as well. Because a lot of. One would assume that, you know, anyone that rises to the rank of CEO is a man or woman made of steel. Uh, and therefore, there, there is so much that, 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 they, that, that they can take on. Um, you've chosen to be very open about your own personal story and sort of embrace the burnout element of that. Walk us through it. So, uh, 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 like, uh, the, the, what I, where I want to start with is, you know, CEOs are also humans at the end of the day. Uh, they burn out. They basically go through a lot of stuff. So people look at them as they are immortal and they can't basically, uh, they, go don't, they, they, don't, they don't go through that. But what happened in, I remember 10 years ago, 2012, I was at my peak performance. Uh, I had to juggle between so many things, my life, my work my wife, my family, and then I was doing my MBA. It was just the peak of my performance. And usually when you're young, you don't look at your physical or health condition at all because you're young, you've got that energy, you've got that motivation that drives you. So naturally, you don't really look at it. And then all you have to do is just work on your career and then do the stuff that you do on a daily basis. So what happened in uh, 2012, I recall this very well, 
I started collapsing, to be honest with you. I, st- I went from a doctor to another doctor. To, I was like, what's happening to me? What's happening? I'm basically not at the same energy level. Uh, my motivation is not the same. And I couldn't do it. So I visited one doctor. They gave me antibiotics. The second doctor, and I was like taking antibiotics like candies, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It was just madness. And then I saw a doctor, and she told me, Said, you look like a smart guy, actually. And let me give you this article. Read it. And I said, okay, let me read it. It was, fa- it was actually a moment of truth in my life, to be honest with you. I read it, and she was like telling me, you know, change your food, look at this, do that. And it wasn't about a medicine. You know, when you go to a doctor, they tell you, take that medicines. But she was like, you know what, just work on your lifestyle. And then it, it hits me, to be honest with you. I took a day off, and then I was looking for someone to help me. So I reached out to someone who I really admire in my life. Uh, he's my actually first true coach, I would call him. And my, I remember my targets was, you know what, coach, I want to gain weight and have more muscles. But then, you know, when I started talking to him, etc., he realized in himself that, you know, that's not what this guy needs. And he said, you know what, don't worry, I'll make you gain more muscles. Mm-hmm. And then six months down the line, uh, three months down the line, I started losing weight. But, but at the same time, I couldn't cope because, you know, I lost weight. I had to throw all my closet uh, in the garbage because nothing was basically uh, fitting me. And I basically it was uh, a culture shock. You know, there, there was like a society rejection. My mom was telling me, say, hey, what's wrong with you? Are you sick? And then I spoke to him. I said, you know what? I don't want to. Uh, you're fired, man. And he said, listen, why don't you feel uh, much more focused? Are you healthier? I said, yes. And then he was like, then what exactly do you want? Yeah. And then it just hits me again. And then I started becoming much more healthier. I started reading a lot about well-being and how important is that for you to be successful in your uh, career. So that's really my story. And that's really what changed me, to be completely honest with you. I think there is a, a whole sort of macho, and this does apply to men and, and women in, in the workplace, this feeling that you need to project this, you know, absolutely impenetrable front. But actually, it's an amazing strength to reveal your weakness. And as managers, you know, coming to the, the, the company that you run in your, in your day job, you've got thousands of people dependent on you. If all of them seek to show that they're perfect, how can you help them improve? I mean, the first stage of solving a problem is recognizing that you have one and being confident in those around you that they, that they will not seize on that as an opportunity, but they'll support you. Absolutely. How, what are, are, there, are there specific red flags that people need to keep an eye out for? Are they very personal? Yeah, absolutely. There is definitely. I mean, if you look at, if you look at a human being, specifically high performance, I look at f- four main elements. The physical, like you, are you basically, can you cope? Emotional, are you basically emotionally stable? Do you have a, rela- a good relation at home, etc.? Friendship, all that. You've got the spiritual part, and then you've got the mental part. Mm. What happened is that the first thing that hits us is the mental part. If you're young, your body can take you because you're young, you're physically uh, solid, etc. But once you get older, that, 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 that vehicle will take you where you want, naturally. And I can see that uh, today. So there are definitely signs. One of the signs that I see, and I saw that, to be honest with you, at the beginning of the week, is that 
you know, you wake up in the morning and you don't want to do anything. Mm. Okay. Or you go to work and you don't want to achieve anything. So what happened? What changed? You've been there last week. You loved it. What happened today? Mm. So this is kind of a st- uh, things that, uh, that surface. The second thing is, you know, your body gives you signals. It gives, it gives you signals. And we need to be a recipient. We need to listen uh, to our body. So the first thing I would advise is you need to have m- much more self-awareness uh, about yourself. You need to know yourself very, very well. Because once you know that, when you go into a burnout situation, a stressful situation, you would know exactly that this is the starting of it and what are you going to do about it. So these two stuff, at least I would say these are the two signs that people maybe can notice when they have a burnout. And just in terms of that, you know, when, once you own that, and once you, again, tapping into your personal experiences, once you've owned that situation, you've come out the other side and you're able to reflect on it as eloquently as you do there, does that create a more positive culture and environment amongst your employees and amongst your industries? Does it filter through? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Imagine I smile at you now. So what do you think will happen? You'll smile back. Yeah. So reality is if you're in a, in a good uh, personal state, naturally you will have a consequence impact. And this is something I admire in my life. You know, I'm here to basically spread impact, spread that uh, inspire, inspiration into people. And naturally all of us have a duty. These guys work for me. It's like my family, you know, at home, I'm there to support them, yeah? And if you're not in your full potential, that's going to be difficult, mm. you know? Some people today ignore the fact of the matter that they, need, they have a family at home that wait for them after 4, 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Mm. The fact of the matter is you need to show up there as if you are in your full potential, yeah? So this burnout thing is related to work, but come on, you've got a family, you've got a life to look after as well. Mm. So imagine you go in a burnout situation at home. What do you think will happen? It's going to have a knock-on effect. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Now, from your coaching role, which I, I understand you deliberately don't take on too many customers and friends and clients because you want to give it your all, how do you apply your own personal experiences to what you pass on to those that you coach? Yeah, so, uh, I, 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 uh, you know, um, I've learned something very important in coaching, to be honest with you, is it's an 80% listening and then maybe 20% talking. So I don't, do, I don't talk at all. Because what's important is to understand what is that person, what exactly they want to achieve. Mm. It's very important. And listen and catch those uh, signs. Because all of us think that we know ourselves, including myself, by the way. But we don't know ourselves. There are signs that we do that uh, shows or indicates that we are not in our full potential. So what I do is I try to mirror them as much as possible. As much as possible. And then I ask for the permission to share as much uh, experience. And I, I give them some assessment to go and explore by themselves. Because this is very important. Whatever works for me may not work for them, mm. naturally. So I try to tell them, you know what, go do that. And then they come back and say, hey, listen, you know what? I've learned this and this is working for me. So I try to do that as much as possible and then try to 
to avoid advising them on what to do, but sometimes I do because it's necessary just to guide them through the right uh, track. Look, I don't know what, but there are so many different phrases for it, moment, moments of weakness, um, people are being unable to sort of admit to themselves that honesty that one needs to, that you're showing us uh, at the moment as well. And all these are sort of thing, phrases that aren't in the traditional rule book for a CEO. Mm. And I might even, and forgive me if I may, but you say it might be a regional cultural taboo as well. I mean, you look at it from a, from a, from a, from a male, an Arabic male, or an Asian male, or a, or a, it's actually, it doesn't matter where you are, a male in that sort of role the world over. Yeah. So your advice moving forward to bosses out there who might be from whichever background, whichever demographic, who are not embracing that opportunity, what's your message to them? So... Uh the first thing is just admit that you are a person, you're a human being, and it's going to happen to you. You're vulnerable at the end of the day. You know, you're at risk. You're not immune from burnout or anything else. So very important. The first thing is just accept it. Don't really try to fight it because by fighting it, you're just creating another stress level or a burnout situation. So just admit it. Welcome it. Yeah, that's the most important thing. And then talk to your staff. Talk to them. What's going to happen? It's not going to show any sign of weaknesses. It's just going to make them more support you. Because if I'm basically sharing with you, depends on you as a person and how you treated me in the past naturally. But if you've been nice to me, you've, been, you've taken care of me, etc. If I come and tell you, listen, man, I'm facing this now. What do you think? You think it's they're going to take you? Opportunity no? for them to help yeah. you, which they would love to be able to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. They will basically do whatever you want. Yeah. They will do whatever you want. So naturally is just admit it. Talk to your staff. Talk to your family. Just have that two-way communication. Very important. Uh, what I like to do, uh, to be honest with you, is I like to journal a lot because some people don't like to disclose a lot. Mm. So journaling sometimes helps me. When I go into a situation, I journal and I see basically what I did and how can I improve it. So journaling is a very powerful uh, uh, self-assessment that I do all the time. So it- Listen, we could talk. In fact, I am going to campaign for Saeed Al-Ghafri to have his own radio show because he's got the most calming voice I've heard for quite some time. Uh, and it is a voice of reason as well. We could talk for hours. Um, unfortunately, my producers would therefore uh, make sure we don't come back next week. So, Saeed, I can't thank you enough for your time today, um, for your pearls of wisdom, for, 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 for being so honest with us as well. Uh, for helping others in the similar situation and, um, and, and hopefully, fingers crossed, you'll be able to help many, many more for years to come. So thank you so much indeed for your Tom, time. Tom, thank you so much. Neil, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Saeed Al-Ghafri, CEO of Emirates Steel, joining us with his very personal journey and how he intends to help others. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Onwards, my friends. As I said, it's a packed old show and the guests keep coming. Starting up with Virtue Zone, myself and Neil Petch with you through till two o'clock. Now, uh, let's set this one up. Every business owner, when they're starting out, are effectively... Well, you're, you've got a number of hats that you've got to wear along the way. But one of them is, of course, project manager. Uh, you have clients to answer to. You've got deadlines to meet. We're going to find out now why not all projects come to fruition and why some 
are executed more successfully than others. Joined in studio by the director of TBH Consultancy, which mainly focus on construction projects, but also others as well. Welcome to the studio, Chris Nicholas. Great to have you here, Chris. Thank you, Tom. Great to be here. So a bit, a bit about the consultancy first, if we may. You've got, I mean, you bring years of experience to this, uh, this table and this discussion today, but your company is quite new, is that right? No, not new. Actually, 60 years old. Not that new then. Uh, <laughs> we've actually been in the region for 15 years. Um, we were in partnership with a very well-known British firm, Atkins. Mm-hmm. But um, we ended that wonderful alliance in the end of 2019, reached out to the great people at Virtue Zone and set up on our own. We continue to work with them, but yeah, a little bit older than... So a bit years. of heritage there, but the, exactly. sort of the, the new direction, if you like, is, is fairly new, yeah? Exactly. So... And why, why that sort of, why that part, not parting of the ways, but why that new direction for you guys? We always anticipated at some point we were going to be a standalone business. So we had, you know, standalone business in Australia, standalone business in Asia. The relationship was just so strong and so good for such a long time. But it came to a point in time where we parted ways on very good terms and we continue to work with them. There are so many elements that we want to discuss uh, on this one. Uh, the, the, the do's, the don'ts, things yep. that are done right, things that are not done right. Uh, let's start with the T if we can. Timelines, how important? Look, timelines, um, I, think, I think everyone will agree. Everyone's driven around Dubai a bunch of times, mm. seen a, a construction project, you know, lots of concrete up to level 20, but where's all the glass? And you just say to yourself, what's going on with that project? And it may be due to poor – fundamentally, it's down to poor planning. So it really is, you know, very important to get the timeline right, to understand the scope, to understand the completeness of design, to really know about all the parameters that may impact the project. So, you know, clients get excited. They want to get their project started. They may have incomplete design. You may have a contractor that may not start the project um, on a good footing and, you know, get things moving in the right way. So it really is important to get a great, proper, well-considered project timeline in place so that the job has you know, a good chance of success of completing on time and on budget. So you've got your timeline in place. Yep. Let's take it. Uh, you've broken ground. Uh, the, the, the glass has been ordered left, right and centre. Um, do you stick to that timeline religiously? But in order to get to deadline, how do you sort of monitor the progress of the project? Do you have to be – does there have to be an element of flexibility? Absolutely, there has to be an element of flexibility. I mean, it's completely unreasonable to say to someone, well, you have to follow the timeline, you know, to every single activity every day. Things happen on site. Ch- changes happen. Uh, it, not particularly in, in the UAE, but, you know, overseas it may be rain, mm. it may be other weather impacts – you have to be flexible, okay? But fundamentally, there is always going to be a path that gets you to the end of that project. And that path, the critical path, as we say in construction, is the path that can't be delayed. Once that starts getting delayed, Tom, then you're going to have problems. Then you're going to impact you know, the, the completion date of the project. And then you're going to start looking at, as you were talking about monitoring reporting, well, hang on, what's gone wrong? Where can we mitigate? Where can we understand in a timely fashion, you know, like actually analysing and looking at the project in a, on a monthly basis, not leaving it, you know, for months and months and months, but actually taking timely action when it does go off track. So, I mean, 
Patrick, we, I mean, we, we're using the construction site metaphor here, but I mean, from a sort of startup point of view, is it a given that not all founders or would be founders, would be CEOs, are great project managers? <laughs> yeah. You can tell from from <laughs> absolutely not. And by the way, recruit people that are not the same as you; they mm. have different strengths. Is that that that's important? Is it? Oh, absolutely. I mean personalities, behaviours, there's so many different things that impact the project. Um, but just funny with regards to the startup, right? Like things, you have a program, it doesn't have to be a construction timeline, it can be starting up a business. I mean, VirtuZone were great in getting us set up here, but in Saudi, during COVID, our whole timeline went all over the place because we couldn't go to ministries, we couldn't go and talk to people. So our whole startup phase got delayed there. And that's not a construction project, that's just a simple startup of a business. So it really depends on a wide range of factors. And also the different uh, challenges, you know. So construction, everyone's thinking, oh, that's easy at the moment. The thing is booming. But people, you know, now you probably have manpower and recruitment issues. You're trying to keep your customers happy. Everyone's screaming, I want the people on my (laughs) site. You know, these are growing pains. It's... We're seeing that here and particularly in Saudi Arabia, the volume of work and, as you rightly say, everyone wants the best contractors, everyone wants the materials, the labour, etc. So all these competing agendas impact actual overall program timelines. Mm. But, um, yeah, these are the things that we deal with day in, day out. You know how there's that saying, fellas, that, you know, own your failures and learn from your failures as well. Yep. I mean, if you took it from a... From a project management point of view, and delays, some delays cannot be avoided. Correct. So can you own a delay or not? Look, this is a quite a technical subject when it comes to construction. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, what we have to end up dealing with, Tom, proactively is, okay, who was the delay caused by? How can we – let's forget the legal contractual aspects. How can we mitigate? How can we try and bring this job back on track? So there's – there's, you know, the mechanisms where you can go about it in the usual way, or there may need to be costly uh, acceleration measures, etc. But, you know, you touched on it. I'll try and summarise it really quickly. It could be a client delay. It could be a contractor delay. It could be both at the same time. And that's why I laughed because we get those all the time. The contractor will be saying, well, the client's delayed me on this. But at the same time, there's a concurrent delay and then all sorts of issues surrounding that. So it really is, I mean, fundamentally, if we just make it a little bit more practical, it is about, you know, what is front and centre driving the project? And if there's a problem, a roadblock, how do we deal with it? I mean, my pet hate is when different divisions of my company, and of course, chaps, this has never happened. It's just a hypothetical conversation. They come in, there's a problem, and they point their fingers at each other. Yep. And I think that project management in construction, perhaps we can actually learn from you because it is a perfect uh, case study, isn't it? How do you start by getting your own company not to be blaming each other? Yep. Look, I think fundamentally it's not relative to construction. You know, it's about behaviours. So I've been on projects in the region, huge, like there's a huge airport project we're involved in. The contractor was proactive. The client was proactive. Everyone wanted to resolve issues in a timely fashion. It didn't end up in huge legal proceedings. The job was handed over. Fantastic project. But then I've been on equivalent projects Mm. where it's a standoff from the start. So 
putting construction aside, it's the behaviours of the team, the agenda of the team. Um, If you really want to make it work, you'll sit down with your counterpart and make it work. If you don't want to, you can prolong the pain for as long as you want. Yeah, and I think if you want to paper over the cracks, that's just not going to give you a solution. You've got to make sure the concrete concrete gets delivered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But make sure it's the right concrete, all man right? Man of steel, Not the air concrete. concrete. <laughs> You're just coming out with them all today. Don't mention Man of Steel. Uh, we've got a rugby league fan in the, in the studio, yes, that's for sure. Course. Listen, Chris, uh, I'm also going to campaign for you to have your own uh, radio show as well. So that's two radio shows I'm campaigning for, very but we're good. out of time on this occasion. So really, appre- uh, re- really appreciate your time. Just very quickly, take away from the conversation. If people are just tuning in and going, want to listen back to that one, which you can straight after the show. But if there's just one little nugget of advice you can give to would-be startup business owners out there at the moment about project management, what is it? Um, I think it's just patience and understanding the full picture in front of you. Actually understanding everything that impacts your project and patience in dealing with all those aspects. Good on you, Chris. Can't thank you enough. Thanks thank so much you. for joining us live thank in you, studio. Thank you, Big thanks it. to Chris Nicholas, who's director at TBH Consultancy. You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business setup with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Tell you what, Mr. Neil Petch, it's a busy one this afternoon, isn't it? It sure is. We're packing them in. We are indeed, as we do each and every Thursday on Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Hashtag be your own boss. That is uh, the hashtag. That's the message that comes loud and proud from uh, Neil's Virtue Zone. So make sure uh, that you reach out to them. Listen, if we haven't addressed your questions or your queries in the 60 minutes we're allotted each week, then worry not because the good team at Virtue Zone um, uh, will be answering your questions 24 7 through their social media channels. Reach out to them with any queries, any, any, um, questions and they will supply the answers right on now to the london business school recently held a startup competition 10 startups in the MENA region competing for a prize package valued in the region of eighty thousand dollars to tell us a bit more uh, we are joined um, by jane cadet who along with senior executives at the london business school uh, spearheaded this particular program. She's the executive director of the Institute of Entrepreneurship and Private Capital at LBS. And we've got the big winner to unveil to you all in a few moments' time. But in the spirit of building up the anticipation and the drama, uh, we will be revealing and introducing that winner shortly. Before that, though, let's get an overview of the competition. Jane, thanks so much indeed for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm obviously the London Business School, a brand that is known the world over. Um, Long-time presence here in the UAE? Um, Over 10 years, indeed, yes, absolutely, and uh, increasing that visibility and presence uh, literally year by year. I've been coming out uh, over the 10-year period, and uh, certainly we're looking to uh, work with more and more uh, organisations, obviously supporting more entrepreneurs in the area, and have seen such a change in the landscape. It's it's always so uh, exciting, quite frankly, to come out each time. And why now for the startup competition? Well, we launched it last year. Um, it seemed right. Um, obviously, you know, COVID got in the way and we had to delay the launch uh, during that sort of 18-month, two-year uh, two uh, hiatus. Um, that gave us time to plan. With the, uh, obviously the opportunity to do so, we launched it, as I say, last year and uh, this year with it gathering momentum. Um, I think it's the right time for the region. I mean, never before has there been such a hotbed of 
uh, excitement, of innovation and um, of, of talent within the area, that to be able to leverage that and to be able to share and spread the resources and the, the spirit of entrepreneurship which London Business School represents, you know, the uh, startup competition seemed to be the, uh, the ideal platform for that and to provide a journey for those aspiring entrepreneurs. Is that, I mean, uh, I mean, it's the basis of your business, uh, Neil, and has been for, what, the last 15, 16 years, etc., but... Is that, is that burning ambition of startups, is that still as, as, as strong as ever here? What I love is actually how people embrace it uh, from, I believe, a much I, I hail from, from uh, my early business career was in London and I came out here and the spirit of entrepreneurship and the desire of parents to get their kids feeling that entrepreneurship early through schools and universities and such – um, is unparalleled, which is fantastic. So when we have big names like this come out and, and get behind it, I think it's a really good sign. And, mm. and I, we're, Jade and I were talking earlier about seeing if we can do something together because obviously it's exactly the market that we want to speak mm. to and let's see if we can get that prize package a little bit higher next year. Absolutely. <laughs> so 10 startups, as I mentioned at the beginning. Give us an overview of the competition. What were you asking your startups to do? Or rather, what were you looking for from startups? So with regard to um, the industry that they each represented, the competition itself is sector agnostic. I mean, obviously, we've got COP coming up. So sustainability was always going to be a a key uh, sort of theme. And it very much resonates with what London Business School are very much focused on as well at the moment, not exclusively, but certainly in terms of a theme. Um, We then judged uh, the finalists in terms of various criteria. I think there were five in total. As with any business, we look to see the people behind the business always um, and to see you know, if we think that they have a suitable background, relevant experience, etc. So that was always key in terms of identifying who we thought were the sort of the right players behind each business. Then we look at the venture itself, what we call product market fit. Is there an actual opportunity for the business um, or is it just an idea which you know, the founders have thought of and thought, yeah, well, I'm going to reverse engineer this and make it into a business, in which case you think, well, is there ever actually going to be a demand and you know, are we really going to be able to get this off the ground for you? Differentiation, of course, is absolutely key, mm. um, especially in a very crowded marketplace. And you know, let's be honest, there's very few things that are that innovative anymore. It's more about identifying a niche within a space and perhaps even the differentiation in terms of execution, uh, which you can then make you know, into a sort of a unique business model and uh, drive the business forward on that basis. We also looked at traction of the business. When I say traction, I mean you know, how the progress they've made to date. Again, is it very early stage? Is it just an idea? Is it something which has been validated with some customers, with some letters of engagement, with some early stage revenues? Have they even raised money? If so, they must be doing something right. Um, but that, of course, was obviously just one of the many criteria. And then ultimately, we look at their potential for growth as well. Is this something which can be scaled to be potentially a, a really sort of a large business rather than it being a, a, just a lifestyle business, which suits many entrepreneurs, but it wasn't what we were looking for in terms of the actual criteria of the competition. But as a, as a panellist, I can honestly say, yes, you have regard to all of those criteria. But at the end of the day... You know, you have a, a scientific method for scoring, but you look at something as a whole and you have a gut feeling that that's your winner. And, uh, well, we've got the winner here with us. You'll reveal later. I like, <laughs> I like it, Tom, when education and commerce move closer and start saying the same things. Mm. And LBS 
you know, it's very easy to talk theoretically about things. It's much harder to do it in, in practice. And uh, Jane, what you were just saying in terms of the criteria, and I understand that you're one of the nasty judges, the criteria, <laughs> the way you were explaining it, you could have been a PE fund talking. Yeah. And if I were uh, someone who was wanting to win this award, that would be music to my ears. Mm. Talking of the winner, so that's the criteria. Tick all those boxes. And then, as Jane was saying, that gut feeling as well. And time to reveal that winner, uh, a platform where businesses can share their surplus resources for other businesses to use, hence the name. The Surplus. Uh, founder of The Surplus uh, is, of course, uh, Rana Hajiri-Soli, who joins us now live in the studio. Rana, congratulations, first and foremost. Thank you so much. We're delighted to be here. We're still dreaming a little bit. Uh, so is it, is it all, has it all sunk in as yet or not? Not quite yet. I'm a bit slow, so maybe I'll get back to you next week. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Okay. Uh, you've, done, you've, you've proven yourself to the London uh, Business School already. Um, just give all of our listeners out there and viewers the 30-second the elevator pitch, if you can. So the surplus is essentially a platform that brings companies together to firstly map their underused resources. So that could look like extra meeting room space, warehouse space, extra knowledge, surplus stuff, stock, waste, and so on, and exchange it profitably and also helps mitigate their climate emissions while making money. Um, congratulations again on the win and all the hard work pays off as well. Well, it pays off to the value of $80,000. What are you going to do with the money? Well, it was a very fascinating package. We also have, you know, various things that we can take advantage of in terms of, you know, development for software. We have access to new space now. We've got networking opportunities and also a um, $6,000 cash prize, which is going to go straight to development, of course. Um, So we're really hoping to be able to milk it as much as possible and surplus that money, essentially. It's a great, great. Um, uh, well, it's a great project, uh, and and I just want to get back to the sort of gut feeling, if I can, Jane, because you mentioned earlier about the fact that yeah, okay, a lot of the the, the, the finalists did exactly what you wanted them to do, but what is the gut feeling about the surplus? So, I mean, we went through the sort of the scientific method of, of scoring, and, and I must say that uh, Rana and the surplus um, actually scored you know, top in terms of the actual scoring across all of those criteria. The decision between the judges um, was actually unanimous, which was you know, made our job easy, actually. We went off to a room and deliberated, and uh, within literally a few seconds, we all came up with the same response. That said, you know, the competition, uh, you know, with regard to the full sort of 10 lineup, uh, 10 finalist lineup, it was very, very strong. So, you know, it, it could have really been anyone's. Uh, any one's prize on the day and there were in fact three winners but uh, they were second and third obviously to uh, the, the surplus um in terms of what we were looking for i mean as i say you know surplus ticks literally every box and i think especially resonating particularly well with the sustainability theme um not to say that, of course, Rihanna didn't blow us away with the quality of the presentation and how thought out every aspect of the business was and the progress that she's made to date. I so. like what Jane said earlier about reverse engineering. A lot of times people do spend ages looking for the silver bullet, the yeah. magic thing, and, and it doesn't always exist, but differentiation and execution. That said, listening to your amazing elevator pitch, which I timed at 29.59 seconds, you're clearly with practice. And it did, it did sound as if you've, you'd got early access to all the boxes that the London Business School were looking for, and you ticked all of them. It was amazing. <laughs> Karma. What does, th- what does this mean for you? I mean, look, ap- apart from the sort of support that LBS were going to be giving you and, and, and the, the, the accolades as well, what does this mean for the business? 
for me, whenever we we achieve or accomplish anything, it's always about our community and getting that visibility, especially with because of a lot of our customers are actually SMEs. And some of them are doing incredible, innovative work. So when we get a platform, we're able to give a platform to our companies and our customers and our broader stakeholder group. So we want to show that, you know, sustainability has to be a collective effort. And it's something that we want to also contribute and give back to the UAE economy as well. Because, you know, we, we, are, we are born here. We're proudly UAE-based startup. So I think that that really will help not just put our work on the map, but our community's efforts as well. Rana, how many real-life examples does Surplus have under its belt where you have brought resources together so far? Is it it tens, hundreds? I think we're up at the hundreds at the moment, and sometimes we we even get surprised at the quality of synergies that come out from it. Um, The interesting thing is it's usually completely irrelevant industries that end up working together. So think like chemicals and food and textiles will produce the most interesting results, and that's because they would have never had an opportunity to work together before. So one of the one of the most valuable ones, I suppose, is opportunities, is leads. Do you have any examples there where you've been able to to share leads within the ecosystem? Share leads. Sorry, could you within explain? your ecosystem, you've got a whole range of companies that can pass business to one another. Yeah, one hundred percent. The interesting thing is the, the, that there is a lot of circular economy platforms out there. There's a lot of resource sharing platforms. The thing is. You need a governance framework for that. So businesses always need to know what do I have, what can I do with it, and what does it mean? Mm. So we've simplified that. So when they come on board onto the platform and they're kind of you know in that surplus mentality, they understand they can't just go about the regular business. So a plastic bottling factory won't necessarily find more people to you know buy their plastic bottles from them. But they may be able to find hidden opportunities such as they've got, you know, again, extra warehouse space. They've got an excellent health and safety department. They can start consulting and making extra revenue from that. That. So those type of leads are unconventional, and I think that's what really hooks them. Lots of questions coming in for the pair of you. We're going to keep Rona and Jane here just for a few moments' time. Uh, starting up with Virtue. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Uh, chairman of Virtue Zone, Neil Petch, is here. Questions coming in for you, Neil. This is one from Jojo, who's got in touch with us. I want to start a business that offers air conditioning, painting and electrical works in Dubai. Good business to be in at the moment. Um, Which free zone would be suitable for this? That's a trick question because the answer is none of them. It's a mainland company because you're going to be sending people out to people's houses and offices. So you need a mainland company. Hope that helps. Uh, get in touch with the team from Virtuzen, hashtag be your own boss. Reach out to them on socials or go down and say hi. Where do people find you? Well, actually, virtuzen.com these days as well as vz.ae. And we have a lovely, make a lovely coffee in Souk al with the Burj Khalifa behind us. Look Tom. at that. Views and all. Views we'll just listen to starting up. Oh, exactly that. Uh, listen, we have been joined in studio by the team from the London Business School. Uh, Jane Kader is still with us here. Jane, again, thank you very much indeed for your time. Great to be here. And the eventual winner uh, of your startup competition, uh, Rana Hajirasuli, who is the founder of The Surplus. Again, Rana, thank you very much indeed. Congratulations again. Right, competition's done. Business is set up. You're making headways at the moment. You're looking to exp- Are you looking to expand or not? Absolutely. And what's the sort of timeline on that? We're looking to dramatically expand within the next two to three years. So we're at our growth stage. Um, Our target within the next three years is to onboard one million SMEs. One of just 
pick your brains, if I may, and, and forgive me if this is too soon, but I want you to start proffering advice to other startups out there because that's what this show's all about. Um, what's the biggest challenge at the moment about getting started up? I think, honestly, even my biggest challenge in the beginning was understanding what the problem is effectively and simply. If you can't sum up the problem in a sentence, then I think you're not quite there yet. And the second thing is you have to really fall in love with the problem because it is going to be a very challenging journey. There's going to be a lot of doors that are closing and sometimes there will be many doors that open. You have to be able to be versatile enough to listen to the market and understand when you need to pivot or when sometimes, unfortunately, you need to shut down and start from scratch. Jane, with your sort of international perspective and focus on this one as well, when you look at the regional startup ecosystem, are there still challenges there? Absolutely. I mean, there's economic challenges, which are obviously global anyway. Uh, but when I look at the region specifically, and I'd say these challenges are becoming less and less each year, but you know, one, first and foremost, access to talent. I mean, you know, building that team is absolutely fundamental. It's a critical part of obviously execution. Um, in the absence of having the right talent on the ground, you know, you're either compromising your team or you've got to look elsewhere. So that's the first instance. And then the second aspect of obviously getting that business going is access to capital. Um, you know, there's obviously the area is awash with, with, with money, but actually identifying where you can get that capital from. You know, it's, it's almost easier the bigger you get and you can access VC money. But when you're starting out um, and you're looking for sort of early stage capital, uh, aside from bootstrapping yourself, you typically want access to high net worth individuals who are going to write a check out, maybe add value in terms of contributing more than just some cash. Um, obviously, the cash is integral, but they can open doors and establish contacts for you, etc. We're actually um, this evening at the business school a bit of a ruthless plug here but uh, we, we've got an, an angel uh, club activity this evening it's the second of our of our meetings and we're looking to create that, that activity that network of angels as part of the sort of the one final puzzle in the ecosystem here uh, because i think there's a there's a huge gap for it and you, you asked me what the challenges are and we're trying to actually fulfill those so uh, well it's great we to have you here in the studio all the best with that event tonight if people want to find out more about lbs here in the uae what do they do um, well, they can contact uh, the Dubai office um, over in DIFC. Absolutely. Search London Business School Dubai. Exactly. We're get waiting. In, get in touch with the team. Uh, and Rana, last plug to you. The surplus. How do people find out more? We have a website with that interest form. So it's just www.thesurplus with two S's at the end dot com. It's all going on. Rana, congratulations again. Thank you very much indeed to you. Jane, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thanks for both joining us live in studio. Uh, and Mr Neil Petch, thank you very much indeed. What was the big takeaway from today? The big takeaway, Tom, is don't speak when you have a frog in your mouth. <laughs> well, both you and I, for some reason, uh, have had exactly the same problem today. What on earth has happened? I think on? we've just been charmed by our guests. Exactly. So better that. they speak than we. <laughs> we will see you this time next week. And as we said, got a big one for you next Thursday as well. You don't want want to miss that one until then thanks so much indeed for being part of starting up with virtual bye-bye